Here we go. Into God's Word we go. And I, David, I like what you said about continuing in worship. That the choice we make as a community to bring our lives under God's Word, worship is not just singing. Worship is a life lived to honor Christ in all things. And bringing our lives under His Word is still worship. So we want to keep going. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you'll know we're in a preaching series called The Next Chapter. Uh, we want to be embracing what God is about to do next in our lives. And let me be clear, uh, we're not here studying what God is going to do next in our lives. While that would be amazing and clairvoyant of us, very seldom do we have a clear picture of what God is about to do. In fact, more often than not, God says, here's just enough light for the next step. Perhaps more important than feeling like we're in control and knowing everything God's about to bring us. Perhaps more important than knowing what the next chapter is, is the posture with which we approach God as the one who is the bringer of the next chapter. What does it look like for us to adopt a posture that is ready for God, whatever He's going to do? And so we've been studying some characters throughout the Bible what has been recorded about sort of catalyst moments in their lives where God said, I'm about to do something legendary. And these characters had to sort of grapple with that decision point, that catalyst moment where they said, am I going to be ready for what God is doing next? Or am I going to bail? A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and we discovered that it is never too late for God to begin the next chapter. Right? Abraham was 75 years old when God finally got him going. What's your excuse? The week, just last week, we looked at Mary. We love Mary. And we also saw that it's also never too young. You're never too young to be part of what God is doing in the world. And you heard a challenge to be involved in the lives of children and youth and students, not because they're the future of our church, but because they're the now of our church. They're the present of our church. And we want to raise our youth to come to the place where, like Mary, they can say, let it be unto me as the Lord has said. Abraham, Mary, heroes of the faith. Um, but Tim, that's not really me. I mean, it's great that you can throw these heroes of the faith up on the screen and say, aren't they amazing? Go and do likewise. I don't relate to heroes of faith. I mean, you take these characters that we've been looking at and right out of the pages of Scripture. Look, he came right out of Scripture. And we say, Abraham, yeah, he was 75 years old, but you, you remember what God called him to, right? Leave your country, your people group, your family, and go to an undisclosed location. And Abraham was like, yes, let's do it. I, I don't have that kind of faith or courage. Dare to be an Abraham. I can't do that. I'm not there, Lord. And then we look at Mary and we say, oh, I might not have 75 years of life experience and wisdom that Abraham had, but well, I also don't have 
the beautiful, simple, childlike faith of Mary. I've become jaded. I've become cynical. I doubt. I look at the world around me and say, it's hard for me to believe God. Let it be unto me as the Lord said. Uh Uh-uh. I can't do that either, Tim. I'm not like them. And if you're identifying with that sentiment, if you're saying, don't show me heroes from the Bible, Tim, well, then I want to introduce you to someone this morning from the Bible. You might have heard of him. His name is Moses. And you're saying, wait, no, he's a hero of the Bible, Tim. I, I've read you know, the plagues and crazy stuff, the parting of the Red Sea, Charlton Heston. I mean, I know Moses is like one of the big names of the Bible. Please do not compare me to Moses. Don't ask me to identify with Moses because he had it all going on. Well, eventually he did. But when was the last time you went back to remember how Moses and his story got started? I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3 and 4-ish. Because I want to go back there together with you. If you've got a Black Pew Bible, George, make sure it's a Black Pew Bible. Are you here this morning? Uh, We want to look at page 46 just to remind ourselves if we go way back to the beginning of Moses' story, to say, is he a guy like Abraham who had such great faith and wisdom? Is he someone like Mary who in his youthfulness had a, a beautiful simplicity and trust? Or was he a basket case? Follow along with me. I'm going to read pieces of these two chapters specifically excerpted to prove a point. Exodus chapter 3, starting at verse 1. This is Moses in the burning bush. Oh, I just let the cat out. Anyways, here we go. Verse 1. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of My people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen 
the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Yeah! But if we pick up the story of verse 11, the tone becomes decidedly less triumphant. But Moses said to God, Who am I, though, that that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Verse 13, Then Moses said to God, Well, Well, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, "Uh uh-huh, well, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Now jump down to chapter 4. Moses answered, yeah, but what if they don't believe me or listen to me or, or say the Lord did not appear to you? The Lord says, take that staff, throw it on the ground. It turns into a snake. Moses is like, whoa. God says, pick up the snake. He does, and it turns back into a staff. God says, stick your hand inside your cloak. Moses does. He pulls it out. It's covered in leprosy. He's like, whoa. And then he puts it back inside. God says, take some water out of the Nile, pour it on the ground. He pours it out, and it turns into blood. Moses is like, wow. This is amazing. Signs and wonders to prove the authenticity of God's message. So you get to verse 10, and Moses says to the Lord, I mean, pardon your servant, Lord, but I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight? Or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go! I will help you speak. And I will teach you what to say. And then finally, verse 13. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah. (laughs) I am thankful Because I need Moses. I need Moses to remind me that our inadequacy is no match for God's power and love through us. Moses' entire life is a life of amazing transparency in the sense that God's love and His power flows through the life of Moses out into the world and amazing things happen. But how does Moses' life begin? with this incredible display of inadequacy. Objection after objection. But we see in this text that our inadequacy, as modeled in Moses' own life, it's no match for what God wants to accomplish in us and through us by His power as He extends His love out into the world. When we talk about the next chapter, I am thankful that God includes not just the best parts of all of these great people of faith, but also the worst parts. 
The Bible is not some dressed up, polished story that has been edited so only the, the good things are left. The Bible is an actual real account of real people who have struggled with God, who have argued with God, who have dared tell God, please send someone else. I might not be able to identify with Abraham or Mary, but Moses is my guy. Let's look at what Moses does in this text because he just again and again and again, his life, it's just filled with objections and you're saying you're talking to God. What are you doing giving Him objections? <sighs> How refreshing though, is it? That here we have an account of somebody giving objection after objection. Isn't this us? When God calls and we say, no. You know, Sandy says she comes up here and giggles every time she stands up here because she, when she first started coming, I'm listening to her give the announcement going, I don't need to preach. <laughs> because what Sandy said is she came and she felt inadequate. She felt like she didn't have anything to bring to the table because of all these godly people and everything that God was already doing. And now all these years later, she's leading and serving and ministering to our children and making announcements from the front of the church. And it turns out that her inadequacy was no match for the love and power of God in her life. Well, Moses was in the same place. That's why we like him so much. And objection after objection, and we might wag our finger and say, you should not be objecting to God. And yet deep within us we're like but we do this all the time like look at Moses first objection here it is I am not a superhero in this day and age where the Marvel Cinematic Universe has taken over everything and DC pathetically limps along behind it we are primed to think of characters even biblical characters in superhero terms Right? This is what the text says. Chapter 3, verse 10. So now go, God says. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people and the Israelites out of Egypt. Go to Thanos. Stop the... You did the whole thing. This is, this is a superhero plot line. And Moses rises up and says, I am Iron Man. No, he doesn't say that. He says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. You've got the wrong guy. You hear the, the feeling of inadequacy. Just the maybe accurate self-realization. I'm nobody. Think of his past. Yeah, maybe raised in the courts, but fled for his life. He was a murderer. And now he's a backwoods shepherd. And God says, it's time to be a superhero. And Moses is like, I am no superhero. But what's even more beautiful than, than the honesty, really, of Moses' objection is the gentleness of God's answer. And God said, I will be with you. Full stop. I will be with you. When you feel inadequate in God's eyes, God's response is, I will be with you. You may be sitting here this morning saying, I get Moses. I am not a superhero. You're right. You're not. And that's the point. 
Our God is the superhero in the story, not us. Our inadequacy simply serves to make His glory look even better. Our inadequacy is no match for the power of God at work in us and through us as we extend His love into the world. So that was just Moses' first objection, right? Who am I? But he keeps going, which is incredible. Like God corrects him once and you'd think, okay, get the point. But no, he's got another objection. What if they don't like me? What if they reject me? What if they don't believe me? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? Right? Moses says to God, well, suppose I go to them and say, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, prove it, name one time. Right? That's, that's the tone I hear in this. Yeah, well, what's his name then? What am I supposed to tell them? The question here is, is one of agency. Who, who, not just who am I, like I don't deserve, I don't belong, I'm not good enough for this, but it's also the, why would they believe me? The message that I have. I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to talk to my neighbor about who Jesus is. I'm going to invite my neighbor over for dinner. Well, what if they don't like me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they don't pay attention? What if I, you want me to start something at work? A prayer meeting at lunchtime? At work? Why would I do that? Then they'll know I'm a Christian and they'll hate me. And we, I get this. It's easier for me to start a prayer meeting at lunchtime at work. <laughs> but you guys have it rough. Who, what shall I tell them? Where is my source of credibility and authority? And do you see how God answers them again? There's, there's a beauty to the way God answers and a consistency to the way God answers. God answers and says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I love that. I am who I am. Let me translate that for you. Moses, it's not about you. What if they reject me? Yeah, you're right, they might. But you know what? It's not about us. Our God is the one that people need to accept, not us. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who saves, not us. And so when we put ourselves out there, if we dare to risk to be part of God's kingdom purposes in this world, who gives a rip about our reputation? We want His reputation. And you know, from what I've seen throughout Scripture and in the stories of our church, God can handle Himself. And His reputation is not dependent on us not messing it up. Our inadequacy is no match for God's love through us. So you'd say, Moses, do you get the point yet? And Moses just shakes his head and goes, nope. He says, I have another objection, Moses says. I can't do this. Like, this is just a, a skill set issue. Whatever it is you've called me to, I have no training, I'm not equipped, I don't have the degree, I don't have the, the background, I don't even have the temperament, I don't have... Like, chapter 4, verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I've never done been good with the words and neither in the past nor the goodness of speaking in public and servant, I'm slow of tongue and speech and... He's just saying, I can't do this, flat out, I can't do this. 
And once again, I don't know, I start hearing an edge in God's voice. But there's also a, just a, a clarity and a, and a gentleness that's there, even if there is starting to be a little bit of an edge. But the Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who, who's really the one who's in charge of all of this stuff, right? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it, is it not me, says God? What's God saying? He's going, I got this. And then this beautiful verse 12, now go, I will help you speak. I will teach you what to say. Man, is God ever patient with this dude. And not only patient, but continuing to extend the offer of being a part of what he's doing in the world. Moses is doing everything he can to squirm his way out of this thing. And instead of just getting mad, God is saying, I've got you. I am with you. It's me they need to accept. And, and I will help you. And I will teach you. Come with me. It's going to be amazing. Well, Moses continues to be my favorite person because not only does he say, I can't do this. You're right. Moses, you can't do this. God is the one who helps and teaches. And I need to remember that every day. I don't have to feel like I've got it all together. I don't, like to, I don't have to feel like I'm the one with all the answers. I just need a connection to the one who has all the answers. My inadequacy is no match for God's love in us. So yeah, so Moses comes along and says, not just I can't do this, then he just turns the dial to 11. I won't do this. Did you catch that verse 13 where we ended? Is that not one of the greatest verses in all of Scripture? But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Mm. The Bible's so good. Because it's so real. We say this. Right? God says, I'm calling you here, and you say, <laughs> excuse, 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 and then no. That's just Moses. That's just us. And the reason I think there was an edge creeping into God's voice in the last objection is because the edge finally makes its full manifestation known. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. He's like, fine. What about your brother? I know he can speak well. And he's already on his way to meet you. I'm sure he'll be glad to see you. I will help both of you speak. And will teach you what to do. And even in God's frustration, He says, I'll give you a partner then. The first preaching team. <laughs> and together, God says, I know, you think you, I won't do this, Moses. Come on. By now, you should be getting the point that there are no objections we can make that actually hold any water with the Lord. That when He wants to do something, He's going to do it. And the sooner we get around to saying, I don't feel like I can, who am I? What if they don't believe me or accept me? Or I, I don't think I can. And flat out, no, send someone else. Once we work through all of that, then we meet a God who says, I, I have so got this. I'm inviting you to come along for the ride. And it, it may be a crazy ride, 
that it's going to be the best ride you've ever been on. This is why I love Moses. <laughs> because finally, I can identify with Moses, not as the one of great faith in the Bible, but as the guy who's real. The guy I identify with. The guy who, I felt this. I continue to feel this. I get him. Or maybe he gets me. So I would say this is an example we have in Scripture of epic failure before God. Like, I mean, just, just growing, you know, it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse, and then he just flat out says no. Go and not do likewise. What's interesting, though, is that when God doesn't just redeem the Israelites, but when he redeems the whole world, we get a very different example in the person and work of Jesus. Right? And Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that He is about to be beat, arrested, beaten, flogged, mocked, and crucified, that He is going to be killed, He prays and He kneels down and He says, Father, if You are willing, take this cup from Me. He had every right to throw every objection back at God. Please send someone else. And yet, instead of pulling a Moses and saying, not I, Jesus says, yet not my will, but yours be done. And there is nothing that can stop a God like that from changing us and changing the world. What, you think our inadequacy is an insurmountable hurdle for God? It's no match for a God who wants to do amazing things in you, through you, around you, in this church, in your family, in your school, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. God is moving. And we can stand by the sideline and say, isn't that interesting? There He goes again. Or we could take one step into it. Get caught up in the stream of what God is doing. And go for a wild ride. Into an unknown destination. A land I will show you later. But we'll be part of it. Because a good and gracious God says, of course you're inadequate. That's kind of the point, right? When we talk about responding, we say, look, we identify with Moses. I am no superhero. What if they reject me? I can't do this. I won't do this. My friends, it is not our own inadequacy that is making us doubt. It is not your inadequacy. It's not your character that you're doubting. It's God's. And I'm here to tell you this morning that His character is steadfast and faithful and powerful and personal. And He sees you. And He hears you. And He knows what's going on in your life. And He wants to invite you higher up and deeper in to whatever it is that He's got coming down the line. And we don't even know what that is. I love it. Uh, the Apostle Paul dealt with the same kind of issue, right? Uh, he describes at one point in 2 Corinthians that he was given this thorn in his flesh. Are you familiar with this? 
instead of being the super apostle Paul, he actually admits that he's weakness in his life. The text in 2 Corinthians says, I can't do this, God. Take this thorn out of my life. And God's answer to him is, Oh no, Paul. (laughs) I'm not taking this thorn out of your life. Because my grace is sufficient for you. My power, says God, is made perfect in your weakness. My power, says God, is brought to its beautiful completion when I have the chance to show it off through your weakness. That our very inadequacy is sometimes the way that God shines brightest. And people look around and say, wait, wait, aren't these unschooled, ordinary men? Who are? Who, I know that girl. Where is this change coming from in her life? I remember the addiction that person struggled with. And look at the transforming. What's happening here? I know how they used to interact with their family. I know the way they overworked and didn't spend any I know all of, there's an entire life that's been transformed. So Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. I am a basket case, says Paul. So that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults. I delight in hardships. I delight in persecutions and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. This is why the self-help movement will never work. Because there is no power in self. There is power in Christ. And when we finally come to the place of saying, I don't have what it takes. That is the place of ultimate honesty. When we find ourselves there, that's when God says, good! Now we understand each other. You may feel like you've fallen. Now let me reach down, says the Lord, and pick you up. For when I am weak, then the true strength and power of God is displayed in my life. Our inadequacy is no match for God's love through us. I want to close just by offering you a few moments of silence. And in this silence, I invite you to reflect. Maybe it's on this last 24 hours. Maybe it's this last week month or season but you know i don't want us to leave here nodding with intellectual assent saying yes i agree that that is true that our inadequacy is no match for the power and love of god i concur i don't want you to concur i want you to look at your life and say where is it that i'm feeling inadequate Where is it that I might be sensing God saying, I want you to move here. I want you to talk to that individual. I want you to start getting involved in that ministry. I want you to start reaching out to people in your neighborhood. I want you to start spending more time in the Bible. I want you to start praying more. I want you to put silence into your lives. And take some time now to ask God, where is it that you're calling me? And show me my excuses. Show me my Moses-ness. And then in this time, I invite you to give all of your excuses to God and say, with tremendous fear and trepidation, Lord, I am yours.
I'm willing to take at least one toe and put it in the stream of what you're about to do in my life. Just watch what he might be doing. Take some time of silence now, and I'll close in prayer in a few moments. Holy Spirit, we recognize you in this place. Thank you that you are a God who speaks. That you are not merely a God of academic truth, but a God who wants to actually change lives. Thank you for the example of Moses. He's our man. Thank you for the honesty of the Scriptures that records humanity in its full spectrum of potential and inadequacy. And we want to learn from your word. We want to draw strength from your word. And we want to be uh, pointed in the right direction for our own lives. And so as you have been speaking even in these moments, Father, as you've been speaking in these last weeks and months, as you are calling us into such a variety of different things based on not just who we are, but who we're going to become. I ask that you would that you would give us courage to respond to your invitation to be part of what you're doing. That yes, to I ask for courage to delight in our inadequacies. Of course we can't do it. We're not God, you are. Help us to get our eyes off ourselves and all the reasons we have for not being a part of what you're doing in the world, for not volunteering at church, for not putting ourselves out there, all the reasons that we might have for staying on the sidelines. This is not about getting ministry volunteers, Lord. This is not about accomplishing more things and motivating and and mobilizing a population. This is actually about getting people connected to you. That they might know you. They might learn to recognize your voice and to be able to respond when they hear you speak and not to wait around until the point where we think we have it all together that we could probably pull it off but to be willing to obey even when we know we don't have it together and when we're pretty sure we can't pull it off, that you would create in us a spirit of joy-filled dependency. That we might be a people who are responsive to your Spirit's movement, a people who are willing to dare greatly, a people who are willing to dare in really tiny ways, but a people who above all are listening to you paying attention to the voice of the Spirit, expecting you to be speaking in the mundane day-to-day reality of our lives. And that we would find our greatest delight is actually in our inadequacies. Because therein you shine brightest. Let your glory shine brightly among your people, not because we have it all together, but precisely because we don't. Let an unbelieving world look in and say, that makes no sense. And may we simply smile and say, we know. That's just kind of the way God works. In your precious name, Lord Jesus.
Amen. Amen.